The following Pharma Essentia podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and cannot be considered as medical advice. Please speak to a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. Hello, Josh. Hi there, Kay. And hello to those listening. We're back with the third episode of the PV Pod, Stories from the Marrow, a podcast about polycythemia vera. Brought to you by Pharma Essentia. Thanks, Pharma Essentia. In episode two, we spoke with Nick Napolitano, who gave us some great personal insight on what it's like living with PV. Nick told us about what it's like receiving a PV diagnosis and how it impacted his mental health. He also shared with us ways he's managed the stress of PV, like communicating with your doctor and leaning on your community. So we've talked to an expert on PV and a patient with PV. What's next? I'm really excited about today's guests. Guests, plural. Yeah, today we're hearing from Joe and Patty Monteleone. Who are they? I'm uh, Patty Monteleone, and I I just turned 60 last week, and I um, have polycythemia vera. And I am Joe Monteleone. I just turned 62. I am the uh, husband of Patty and caregiver of Patty. So today we're getting the perspective of a caregiver? Yep. Fantastic. As you might remember from the last episode, Nick stressed to us how important his family and community were in his journey with PV. Today, we want to shed a little more light on the experience of a caregiver to someone with PV for those listeners who might be in exactly that position. What's it like to know that someone really close to you is dealing with PV? Let's get into it. Where do we start? I could uh, I could step in first, if you don't mind. Go right ahead, Joe. I would say, for me, it's just the, the, the thoughts that come about in your day. You know, when you're, you're working, you're traveling, or whatever you do is a normal course of your life, and then, you know, it hits you, oh my gosh, Patty's got a disease, and, and what does that mean? And, and how does she feel today? And, and how is she coping with that today? And I'm, because I'm sure, you know, when there's quiet times in her life, in her day, that you know, she worries about it, and worries about seeing... You know, her. Um, she was fortunate enough to see her, our oldest get married, so that that's a milestone that passed. But you know, our, our, our next one in line is going to get married soon, and that's that's another piece. I just you know, worry and wonder about of, of just how she's feeling and what she's thinking about. In listening to Joe, you can really feel the weight of their worries. It's something always on the back of their mind, it seems, patient and caregiver alike. You're exactly right. And if this is how Joe is feeling now, I'm curious about how he and Patty felt when they first found out she had PV. Let's jump back to the initial diagnosis. It was a kind of a trickling uh, of diagnoses. There was a a, a very large suspicion that I had it, given um, having been JAK2 positive. Meaning she was... Likely to have a myeloproliferative neoplasm, or MPN. And my blood counts suggested such. I was told before the bone marrow biopsy that I had some form of an MPN. And we didn't know which one, and it was just all very new. And he kind of went through, well, you know, you could end up needing stem cell transplant, kind of giving me the worst case scenarios of the disease course. And I was like, oh, I was in the examining room by myself. He walks out and I just burst into tears. 
And then the bone marrow biopsy did prove out that it was polycythemia vera. I really don't like the thought of hearing worst case scenarios. It's a pit in my stomach. How did Joe take all this? Right after that, getting the, the news that she had polycythemia vera, and for me it was like, what the hell is that? You know, what does that mean? I thought of, you know, the worst and that, is it days, is it months, is it years? And I was worried about, you know, how she was feeling and how she was reacting, you know, what it meant. And then, it, you know, you hear it's incurable. It's like, that's that's not a good thing to hear. And and what does that mean? And then, you know, how do we, how do we communicate this with each other and then with our children? Uh, so that's kind of, you know, what I was met with and what I was thinking about. I'm so glad we're doing this podcast, Kay. Yeah. Hearing Joe say all this is reminding me a lot of how Nick described receiving his diagnosis and that spiral he went down. And I feel like if I was in either of their shoes, especially when there's not a lot of information being given from the start, or I guess even too much information from the start, it would be so comforting to hear someone else sharing their journey, letting me know I'm not alone. Honestly, that's a really good point, Josh. Well, you don't need to sound so surprised. No, but if I were listening in as someone who was recently diagnosed or whose loved one was recently diagnosed, I would find it comforting to hear that a lot of people struggle with that initial diagnosis. It's not just overwhelming and challenging for you, it's overwhelming and challenging for a lot of people. I'm interested to hear how Joe and Patty handled these challenges as a couple. They really impressed upon me the importance of communication. First, it was the sit down and looking each other's eyes and, and explaining what that meant. And, you know, you have the, the tears and the cries and the embraces. And then, you know, how are we going to explain this to our, our children and you know, how are they going to take it? They're both health care professionals and way more experienced in some of this than we are and probably hear this more often than we do about people with disease. But, you know, when it hits home to their mom, uh, it's different. You know, how are we going to communicate that? It's just to sit down in, in a direct communication of being honest and sincere. Honest and sincere communication. I am a big fan of that. And as Joe mentioned, that communication wasn't just with Patty. It was with their children as well. I remember when we first, um, like Joe said, I have a daughter who's an ICU nurse and another who was studying to be a PA, physician assistant. So they're both pretty healthcare savvy. So we had a family wedding the weekend before my bone marrow biopsy. And I remember thinking, I got to tell these girls I'm having bone marrow biopsy tomorrow. So we went through the wedding and the weekend, and then we had breakfast that morning and we're checking out of the hotel. And I said, you know, I just want to let you guys know I am having a bone marrow biopsy tomorrow. The ICU nurse just, you know, face turns red. She didn't cry in front of me, but I could tell she had been crying and um, they were very supportive and didn't really ask. And I said, I don't know yet. You know, they think it's this, but we don't know. And, and of course, I'm sure they did tons of research the minute I said, you know, it was one form of an MPN. So Patty and Joe really did the work of building their circle of support early on. Which is really impressive, especially approaching that on a wedding weekend with so many emotions flying around. It can feel burdensome talking about things like this, but it's so essential to build that support circle. It can make all the difference. Exactly. And that goes for communicating with your doctor as well. Oh, right. How did Joe and Patty build their relationship with their doctor? Was it a positive experience? 
at no fault of a, like a regular hematologist oncologist, you know, they don't see MPNs very regularly or often. So I liked my, my local hematologist very much, but I kind of felt it was clear that, you know, he didn't know the disease as well as when I went to Sloan and I met with the director of MPNs at Memorial Sloan Kettering. The first doctor was lovely. He was very, you know, he's knowledgeable for what he did. But like Patty said, it was, we knew, you know, quickly that we needed to go and get a specialist. So this is something that's difficult, but it's important to mention. As a patient or caregiver, you may sometimes find yourself needing a second opinion or a specialist that can take care of your specific needs. And that's not to discredit your general practitioner. Of course not. Your healthcare experience is a collaborative one, and you have the option of seeking the opinions and care of a specialist if you feel that's right for you. And what's always important to hear, especially for people who suffer with social anxiety like I do, that your doctor is there to work with you. They are your teammate and want what's best for you. So no need to feel guilty about any of this. You are absolutely allowed to find a doctor that's a good fit for you and your condition. We talk about that all the time in our other work with patients who have rare diseases. All right, back to Patty and Joe. Did they find a specialist? We're fortunate enough to be pretty close to New York City. And a pretty well-renowned research facility is where we went. I have a very good relationship with Dr. Morrow. I find him to be incredibly bright and engaging and um, empathic and very thorough. I mean, he spends time with me, answers my questions, and I think he's pretty pragmatic in the way that he goes about and very thorough in the way he goes about treating me. So I couldn't say enough about my relationship with him. I'm so happy with my experience thus far. That specialist, he was, like Patty said, very pragmatic, very open. You know, let us record the sessions that we had so that we didn't want to miss anything. He asked many, many questions of us and and how we felt. What did we have in mind to ask him? He was an open book to it. And then we went home and listened to the recording. We had many more questions for the follow-up visits that we asked him, and he was very open again. So the specialist was was very good as the facility was. I'm so glad to hear Patty and Joe found a situation that worked for them. Yes. And there's something that Joe mentioned in there that I think is fantastic. He said that he and Patty recorded their meetings with the specialist and reviewed those recordings later. Like their own tiny personal podcast. What a great way to manage all of that new information, to always know exactly what your doctor said. Most people forget around 40 to 80 percent of what they hear from their doctor. So this is a really smart way to capture everything the doctor says. And it's a great way to take ownership of your condition. I had no idea you could do this. I mean, the thought never crossed my mind. Now I want to record everything. We should record this conversation right now. We are. Oh, right. I really love this idea of keeping track of important conversations through recording, of taking time to go back through and truly listening once those initial emotions have had a chance to level out. As a caregiver, if you're attending these appointments with your loved one who's a patient, this could be something you do to support them. Of course, please ask your doctor for permission to record the conversation first. Do Patty and Joe go to all of their appointments together? In the beginning, we went to all of them together. Um, yes. And then it was yeah. during COVID, you know, we did it at home. So we were both locked up in the house. So we you had to do them together. COVID era telehealth appointments. 
What an innovation. But now I think we've kind of are able to, I'll do it on my own and record them or whatever. And I would imagine, and I'm stable, so there's not, we're not anticipating anything. So, but if there were anything, any changes, we would do it together. Absolutely. Here, Patty mentions another perk to recording your appointments. If your loved one or caregiver can attend an appointment with you, whether it be because of your work or kids or just life in general, a recording of the appointment allows them to actively participate when their schedule allows. Like when we used to record TV shows on our VHS tapes to watch them later. Mm, I grew up with streaming services, Josh. (sighs) Kids these days. Sounds like it's time for a quick break. After that, we'll be back with Patty and Joe talking about her life after her diagnosis. They discuss stress management, the importance of community, and more. So you're learning about PV on the PV Pod Stories from the Marrow. Now get ready to take the next steps on your PV journey with What's Next PV, an educational site on everything polycythemia vera. Knowing what's next can help inform the decisions you and your doctor make about the future and is important to your health. What's Next PV can help you understand test results, set goals for the management of your PV, and make a plan to advocate for yourself. Check out www.pvbonemarrow.com to learn more. So Patty and Joe receive the diagnosis, confirming she has PV. Yes. They find a doctor that fits their needs, they record their appointments, they ask questions. It seems like they have a really great structure and order. So what's next? I mean, what's life like now besides the regular appointments? I had a similar thought, so I asked Patty and Joe what became immediately clear to them after the diagnosis. I think for me, I mean, the disease is just so full of uncertainties. So it kind of got, it got, you know, became very clear of kind of getting comfortable with, you know, as if anyone can be all that comfortable with uncertainty, but, but recognizing that this is going to be a bit of an uncertain path and we have to just let it play out and see how things go. Yeah, what I became aware of was the unknowns. You know, there was a, a road of unknowns uh, to be concerned about. And what would the treatment look like? It was almost like you were like a Petri dish of different things. Let's try this or try that. So it was, you know, those kinds of unknowns. It's almost things that can't be made clear. Like you just don't know how your course is going to progress. And what will it, if it will progress into something more serious or will it be an easier road. And so you just kind of don't know. We don't know from day to day how things are going to evolve. Some people can live for decades and some people might have an event and, you know, could shorten their lifespan. So that's the kind of the uncertainty and there, you know, so you have to just do everything you can do to be as healthy as you can to not contribute to your risk of some type of thrombotic event. And I guess, too, the, the piece of the unknowns is just, um, you know, treatment options. Treatment options tend to be somewhat limited. And, um, you know, what is going to be down the pike? And I'm certainly help, hopeful that there'll be more treatment options or certainly have more options for addressing the course of the illness and changing the course of the illness, which has yet to be seen. 
I remember Nick mentioning that uncertainty. Yeah, he mentioned how sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to symptoms, and he noted the stress of the progression of the disease. He specifically called it frustrating, and he equated learning to living with PV, like... Like a full season of baseball with wins and losses throughout 162 games. (laughs) And I think Patty says that in her own words nicely here. Getting comfortable with uncertainty. And it's interesting to hear that Joe, as the caregiver and loved one, felt the same way. Did anything else become clear about living with PV? I think I also immediately realized how important my cardiac health was. So that was the other thing that I really kind of focused on is making sure that my cardiac health was as pristine as it could be. So, you know, diet and exercise and cholesterol and blood pressure and all that stuff, making sure all that was supportive of you know, a healthier journey with PV and not contributing to a potential uh, event. So I I think it, you know, just the idea of being a patient became clear, like, oh, wow, I'm a patient now, you know, which no one really wants to to graduate to that. So, (sighs) but that's some of the things that I became acutely aware of. And you just, and then you're still dealing with the kind of the shock of, you know, having this chronic illness Um, that you're trying to learn about and understand and, um, you know, that you're a cancer patient and that that in and of itself takes time just to put your head around that, like, how does, you know, doesn't equate. Wow. I don't know if I've ever thought of it like that before. I'm a patient now. That's got to be a challenging idea to wrap your head around. I also liked how Patty talked about her heart health and her health in general, contributing to a healthier journey with PV. And part of that is just getting older, too. I recently had a high blood pressure diagnosis, and I'm making changes to improve my eating and exercise habits. It's a lot of work. That's great to hear you're taking it seriously. It's a good idea for everyone to stay mindful of a healthy lifestyle. And it's particularly impactful to hear that in relation to living with PV. What else about their lives have changed? I've used to think about oh God, we've got this coming up and my number, you know, if my numbers are this, I'm not going to feel well. And, you know, trying to figure out how to get what I needed so I could feel better uh, before any particular event. But that really is not the case. My numbers are really pretty stable now. So I, and I feel pretty good now. You know, you think about it when you travel, like I just had an opportunity to be away in Costa Rica and it's, it's far and remote and healthcare isn't the same. And, you know, and I really had to do a lot of work as to, you know, what what would I do if I had an incident and where would I go? So I did have to think about how was I going to get care if I had any kind of issues. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm lucky enough that I get to travel internationally as a cinematographer, and it's logistically challenging enough without having to worry about things like that. Access to health care. Sometimes I even struggle to find out how to eat healthy and make time for exercise on these trips. And on top of it all, you now have to find and make the time for regular doctor's appointments, too. You know, I go get my blood work done monthly. It's a a bit of a drive, which is my choice. I could do something more local, but to keep my blood work all in one place, I drive to make sure it's all within the system. And um, so I'm working around appointments. When she does go to get treatments and she gets stuck in the arm and they take her blood and and now it's it's a wait and see if that her result is below the threshold so she doesn't have to get her phlebotomy. It sounds stressful and exhausting in a lot of ways. Not to mention the physical strain of the symptoms. 
I guess you don't even really realize until you start to feel better how bad you kind of felt sort of things. PV can be kind of tricky and sneaky with fatigue and headaches and stuff. And they could be a lot of different illnesses. So, so when you first start, when I first started treatment, repeated phlebotomies. Which is when you get blood drawn. Which turned into anemia. Which is a lack of healthy red blood cells, causing symptoms like shortness of breath, dizziness, chest pain, increased heart rates, headaches, and fatigue. Shortness of breath, increased heart rate, and chest pain may be signs of a serious condition. And if you're experiencing these symptoms, you should call your doctor. You know, my fluctuating lab work, and it just, I felt horrible. You know, I felt really tired, and I was anemic, and just didn't feel good. So, I bet you're wondering how they manage all that stress. I was wondering that. We're fortunate enough to have a lot of quiet time together and also fortunate enough to have, you know, for my job and and her job. um, After COVID, we purchased a home in South Jersey or by the shore, actually. We're a couple blocks from the beach and we were able to make it our permanent residence. So I think going to a new community where we have more people involved in our lives and close friends, that's been a really good cope mechanism. And just being able to be by the ocean in that. I mean, we lived in a a wonderful area in the mountains before, but, you know, there's something about the water and the beach that's calming. We have, you know, like I said, wonderful friends and a great pet that, uh, (laughs) that it's it's a coping mechanism for sure. It is so true. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I would echo that. We love the community that we lived in, in upstate New York, but it was pretty isolated and remote. So we didn't have a lot of people around. So moving to the shore, there's a lot more people, a lot more engagement for us. And we have a really nice, supportive group of friends and community. And that's made such a difference. And yeah, and just being able to be near the water and take the dogs for walks. And it's, that's been very helpful. Yeah, we we joke that it's we didn't live in a fifty five and older before, but this where we live is just by trade. It's a fifty five and older community, and there's a lot of people that have different ailments and different illnesses <laughs> in their life, and it's like showing each other your battle scars every day. And um, everybody has a story to tell, and everybody can commiserate with each other and and be empathetic with each other's ailments. Huh. It's really interesting. Yeah, we've described community in the past as doctors, caregivers, advocates, and other people with PV. But of course, you could find support and common ground with others who have different illnesses as well. Community, community, community. Not everyone can move to the beach with their puppies. But that's the dream, though, isn't it? But everyone can seek out empathetic communities of people who understand you and can relate to your life experiences. That's just some good old-fashioned life advice right there, Kay. That's something I really loved about talking with Patty and Joe. A lot of their advice on how to handle PV is just good advice in general. Joe had some phenomenal insight and advice on what you can do as a loved one of someone with PV. You know, it's all about your loved one. You really have to be aware and cognizant of of how your loved one feels. Be aware of that she's going to the doctor today or she has an upcoming visit and to check on her during and after and, and to just be open. You know, that became acutely aware for me. But it's something I think about when she goes because you know, I, I always put a, a note wherever I am to say, uh, let's call back and see how she's doing and what her results are. 
That's a helpful tip. I love an excuse to put a reminder in my calendar, especially if it's to check in with your loved one about something important, like the results of a checkup. But I know there are times when things don't go to plan, when these acts that are meant to come across as helpful and caring don't get the result that you're expecting. So what do you do then? Don't take it personally, because, you know, your loved one's dealing with other things that in this main thing that, you know, maybe it's it's nothing you did. It's maybe something that's going on with your loved one that, that he or she's dealing with and coping with. So you always take that into consideration. You take as much stress away from your loved one as you can. We found that I think the less stress that Patty has, the better results she has and the better she feels. So, you know, try to take all those, those stressful things away from, from her or your loved one. Wow. This is so thoughtful. He's showing us what it looks like to live up to what he said earlier. It's all about your loved one. This is it. Joe mentioned taking away stressors. What are some of those ways you can help alleviate stress for your loved ones? What does that look like? It looks like to take the garbage out. It looks like, you know, put gas in the car. Uh, you know, do those, those, those tasks that, you know, you have to be told to do sometimes. I try to, that's what I mean about being predictive. But yeah, it's just those little things in life and those connections about being there. Don't be asked to do something, I guess, is the easy way to put it. It's those simple things. It's not hard. I think it's hard to remember. It's hard to, to do those things because you get tied up in your personal life. It's not about you. It's about them. You just have fluffy pillows and a, a warm place to, to rest because, you know, they get a lot of rest. They, I think they need a lot of rest because they, they want to put their mind at ease and, and their bodies at, at ease as well. I like that. These are really tangible things that you can do as a partner or a caregiver to just make the life of your loved one easier. Super tangible. Taking out the garbage, filling the tank in the car, making the space more comfortable. It might seem small, but when you add up all these little acts of service, it can make a huge difference. Again, that's just good relationship advice in general. And he's not even finished. Back to Joe. You know, have positive social interactions with people. You know, stay away from the negative people in the negative situations and, and try to, you know, reorient yourself to, to positive things that are happening. That's really important. There's always people that want to unload their problems on you, but, you know, you try to stay away from those people. You know, that's very important. And just enjoy the simple things in life. Like we talked about, you know, you take walks together, um, meals together, celebrations together, you know, all those positive things. And I think the most important thing is just rekindle the relationships that you had and, and why you started loving each other in the beginning. It's honestly kind of a love story. Oh, absolutely. Did Patty's diagnosis change their relationship? I mean, I'm sure it did, but how so? I think uh, more, more that we got reconnected. There's a lot of things in life that you take for granted. And it's probably cliche, but, you know, people, when they have shocks in their life about mortality, you know, they kind of, you know, get, become more self-aware. But I think we've grown closer since it. It's helped us cope with more, you know, tragic things that happen in your life. You know, it was um, a part of a restructuring in, in my job. And I, for me, you know, if that happened to me before this, I, I think I would have just went self inward and got in a different place for myself. But I think I cope with it better because of, you know, what Patty's going through. It's only a job. You know, I could find another job. 
but I can't find another patty or, or find another life. I can't find another patty. This is absolutely a love story. I know. I loved that. I also think it's lovely that Joe is able to extrapolate that kind of emotional maturity from his situation. It's not ideal, but it puts everything into perspective. I'm really glad we got to hear from Patty and Joe, especially for those listening who are caregivers or loved ones to someone living with PV. And I find it super interesting that they reiterated a lot of what Nick said, the importance of conversation and community. Me too. We really had a great conversation, and conversations like this make me even more excited than I already am to talk to other people in the PV community. I can't wait to see who's next. Next time on the PV Pod. Oh, we're already at the outro? Didn't you hear the music? The PV Pod Stories from the Marrow is produced by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible thanks to our sponsor, Pharma Essentia. The PV Pod is hosted by me, Kay Vermeil, and my co-host, Josh Bragg. If you like the show, please share it with anyone for whom it might make a difference and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'll see you next time.